Well, open your Bible, if you have it with you, with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to continue studying through our series, Rich Doctrine, Rich Living. And we're in that section titled Rich Living. And last week, we discussed that the call to unity and the center of Christian unity it found in the church comes through Jesus Christ and what we have in common with him. So when, whenever the Bible you see unity discussed, unity discussed here, unity discussed there, and anywhere unity is discussed, what gives us that unity is that we all believe the same things about Christ. We discussed that in great lengths last Sunday. And so this week, as we dive more into the reason of why then, why does unity work in the church? How does it work? And I thought about this this morning, and when I thought about the fall colors and drive-in. This week I was gone on a, a, a short trip, and I was out west, and the fall colors haven't really hit there yet. Not entirely. And so, when I f- was um, driving back from the airport this week, it was just stunning beautiful. I mean, it's just one of those things where you kind of just want to stay in the car and keep driving down 131, keep going north, and keep going north and see more beautiful colors. I almost missed the exit for Reed City because I was just looking at the leaves. <laughs> and um, it's so beautiful. But here's a thought that I had about the fall colors. If, if all of the trees turned the same fall color, how much less beautiful would that picture be, do you think? I, I mean, I know that the... Red is my favorite fall color, the bright red that's in those trees. You know, that's one of my favorites. But if all the trees were bright, bright red, the same color, I wonder if fall would mean as much to me as it does. You know, would it be as beautiful? Would I think it was as pretty? And I think the, the truth of that pic- picture is, no. Honestly, some, even some of the green leaves that are normal add to the beauty of the yellow and the brown and the red and the multicolors that you see in the beautiful fall leaves. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the way that the Lord Jesus, good thing I didn't drop that. I don't know what I would have had to have Sharon come up here and pick it up. This morning, we're going to look at this fact. You've never been compared to this before, but you are this morning. Each one of us in this church building this morning is a fall leaf. Each one of us brings a certain color, a certain beauty to this church. Each one of us has a specific scene and a piece of the puzzle when you put together like the fall colors in that picture. Each one of us belongs in that photo, if that photo were a picture of our church family. There's no one hidden. There's no one separated. Everyone belongs. And not only do we all belong, but we're not all the same color. We don't all look alike. We're not all exactly the same. And God hasn't given us the exact same gifts. He's given us various different things to be used for his glory. And so we want to take a look this morning then and see that truth through the scriptures. So join with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower 
earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord to us today, and I invite you to fill out your outline if you have it, and the first blank is gifting to all who believe. Gifting to all who believe. And as you focus on verses 7 through 10, this becomes the purpose and the point of what Paul is saying. That there is a gift, there is gifting to every single believer in Jesus Christ. To all who have believed, gifts have been given. And the first point of my outline this morning is they're diverse. The diverse gifts. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Paul is teaching them, he's continuing the, the conversation of unity, and he's already taught them, here are the theological things that unify the church, but it's not just theology then that unifies the church, there's something else that unifies the church. What else unifies the church is the fact that we all have gifts. We all have gifts. And these gifts are diverse. Each and every one of us has a gift from the Lord. One gift we all have in common is the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. That's one gift we have in common. But as you dive in, and, and Paul specifically mentions that verse 8 where he's quoting the Psalms, and he says, God gave gifts to his people. So verse 7, each one of us, grace has been given, that grace through the Holy Spirit, just as Christ apportioned it, it was his plan. He had a plan for you. He had a plan for that grace that he gave to you. And this was the grace. This is part of what he apportioned to you. When he ascended on high into heaven, after he had died, after he had rose again from the dead, after he had seen his disciples and talked to them, and he, then he ascended into heaven. Remember what he sent on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit to come down and live with them. And dwell inside of them. And so, when he ascended on high, verse 8 says, he took many captives with him and, and 
He gave gifts to his people. That was part of his plan. Part of his plan was, I'm going to go to heaven, and after I'm gone, and when I've gone there, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and it's going to give gifts to each believer. Each one of us has grace. Each one of us in the church has been given that. And that grace is a gift from God. And then, in his wisdom, he gave gifts to his people. Now, the gifts, even more explanation of some of these gifts is going to come a little later in our, in our discussion. And so, I'm going to kind of hold and pause on some of the gifting and move to the next point. How do we get these gifts? Paul, Paul quotes that psalm to explain to them how he received our gifts. He said, you know, when Christ ascended on high, then we received our gifting. But I think he realizes that in quoting that psalm, that psalm was a, maybe a bit confusing. And so he wanted to clarify. He wanted to clarify, not just say a little bit. He wanted to clarify with them 9 through 10 what exactly he meant. And he's explaining to us there in 9 through 10 that it was a result of Jesus' victory. What gave us the right for Jesus to give us the gifts? What gave him the right? Well, it was a result of Jesus' victory. Look at verse 9 again, and we'll go really slow here. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. When did Jesus descend? It's a trivia question for you to ask yourself. At Christmas time. At Christmas time, Jesus descended from heaven. He left his throne. He left the glory of his Father. He left everything he had known to come to a broken, sinful, fallen world to be born as a baby. And that's when he descended. He descended from heaven onto the earth. He came here to be born of his mother Mary to live a perfect life on our behalf. That's when he descended. So when it's talking about, whenever it mentions descension, that's what it's talking about. He descended to the earthly, the lower earthly regions. He, verse 10 who descend, descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul explains further. Not only did Christ Jesus descend, but then he ascended again. He went back into heaven. Only this time, can you get this? God is powerful. God is all-powerful. Never in human history has been there a time where God was any less powerful. But on the earth, look at what it said, verse 10. In order to fill the whole universe. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, only certain believers at certain times had power and gifting from the, from the Holy Spirit? Not everyone had it. Not every believer, not everyone who confessed that God was Yahweh and he was the true God of Israel, not everyone had a gift from him. Not everyone had power from him. Not everyone had the ability to do something for Christ. They followed him. They loved him. They served him. They sacrificed in forgiveness of their sin because they were commanded to. But not all of them had a gift from him. But look what verse 10 is saying. But Jesus, after he descended, he was the one who ascended. And once he ascended, he, as he ascended higher than he was before. Why? Because he was able to fill the whole universe with himself. He gave the Holy Spirit. 
and now, through the gifting, because the result of Jesus' victory on the cross, what he has given is grace to every believer. Gifts to every believer. It's powerful. It's mighty. It's stronger than ever before. The body of Christ was stronger because of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. He descended. He gave himself up. And, and, and picture this in the Psalm, in the Psalm 68 that, that Paul is quoting from. In that time, a king being lowly, no matter what happens, when someone falls, you never quite think the same about them, even if they get back up. Is that true? If someone has a moral problem, a moral issue, they have a moral failing in the church, in the church at large, around the world universally, once they fall, they can never reach back that place where they were before, right? And it's true personally too. Not just of, of believers, but in your family life. Someone who has hurt you, someone who has said something that harmed you. And of course, it's coming up in the holiday season where isn't that what happens for some reason at the Thanksgiving table or Christmas time? Your long lost siblings come out of the woodworks and they say things that you're like, did you really have to say that, you know? And it's true, as human nature, it's part of us. Even if we forgive them, there's still somewhere inside of you a little bit that sees them in a different light. But you know what happened when Jesus descended into the earthly regions? When he fell from heaven, if you will, he didn't fall. But, but when he landed here from heaven, he had left his throne. He had left his power. He had left heaven, perfect heaven. But it was all part of his plan. And when he rose, unlike when we rise, he rose stronger than ever before. Because he put part of himself inside of you. That's what he did. And Paul's making that clear to them. He's saying, you have diverse gifts from, the, from Jesus, and Jesus gave it to you th through his victory, through him coming down to the earth and then rising again and then giving us the Holy Spirit. That's how he has the victory in your life. That's how he has the ability to give these gifts. And that, that psalm in general, Psalm 68, it actually helps us to understand what Paul is talking about when he's referring to the gifts. Because in the psalm, in the Psalm 68, when the kings would go out to battle and go out to war, they would go and they would conquer the other nations. And what would they do? They would find those who had been captured. And they would reunite them back to their home. So when it's talking about this peace in here, when he's referencing, he, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. Jesus Christ came and claimed what was rightfully his. He took us, the captives, the sinful, the fallen. He came to the earth to die for us so that he could take us with him back to belong with him forever. And just like the kings would, they went and they would rescue their people. They would bring the captives back. And not only would they go and they would attack and they would fight and they would win the battles and bring their captives back, but they would also bring back all of the gold and all of the trophies and all of the money and all of the value that that community they had just conquered had. 
And then kings, part of what made them a good king, if you're a history buff, you know this too. Part of what made a good king or a good pharaoh or a good leader of Israel was that they would bring those rewards back and they would distribute them to their people. They wouldn't store them for themselves. They wouldn't keep it all to the throne. They wouldn't, you know, huddle this pile of wealth. Good kings were thought of as sharing with their people. They would share the plunder they had won in their victory with the people. And bad kings, this is what I say historically, were the greedy, the ones who held on to all the power, all the wealth, and didn't share anything. There are still some of those today, the dictators, who control and manipulate, and their people don't love them. They don't care for them as much. But, this, Paul, Paul is pointing, you know what? Jesus is kind of like one of these kings coming back from battle. He won the right to you. He won you back from death and hell. He won the captives when he came. And not only did he win you as captives when he came, but he also gave gifts to each one of us. He gave you a gifting. That was part of his plan. Not just to win your soul for God, but to win your soul for him and then to give you gifts through the Holy Spirit. So it's amazing. It's amazing what Paul mentions that he's doing here. And even, even Jesus himself acknowledges something that I think we ought to acknowledge with him is Jesus teaches this in John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Jesus taught his disciples, it's, it's actually better if I go, because if I go and I ascend to heaven, once I'm ascended, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And then it won't just be one Jesus, there are going to be many clones of Jesus walking all over this planet. You, me, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. Jesus was only in one place at a time when he was on the earth. He couldn't be with everyone. He couldn't even be with all of his disciples at one time, ministering to them. Today, Jesus is with you always. He never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. On your hardest day, on your worst day, on the saddest days, he's with you. That's part of his gift to you. That's part of what he's done is that when you realize Jesus came to conquer and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first section is the gifting to all who believe. That's our gift. All of us have that. This isn't limited to anybody in specific or in particular. He gave the Holy Spirit and gifting to you. But then the next part gets more specific. The next part, Paul is going to specifically list some certain gifts that have been given and have been given for the church. For the church. So the gifting, uh, gifted leaders for the church is what I title this next section. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
It's very specific there. Verse 12 is where I gather that Jesus is, Paul is talking here. Jesus through Paul is talking here, but Paul is talking here about the church because at verse 12 it says, to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So he gave these people with a mission to equip his people. It's not everyone, or else it would say something like, all people are equipped through these gifts, or this equipping was given to every believer, all who believe. But, but specifically, he lists these areas and then says these areas are given for verse 12, that purpose, to equip God's people. To equip God's people. So there were gifted leaders given to the church. And the first gifted leaders, this is probably the easiest fill-in-the-blank Sunday part you've ever seen, right? The first gift that was given to the believers is the gift of the, the apostles. The word apostle, you can write this next to there if you want. It's up to you. The apostles, the word apostle is one who is sent with a commission. One who is sent with a commission. And the first apostles, they were sent from, with a commission from Jesus Christ himself. If there ever has been a commission that was given, that was the strongest. Jesus Christ himself to the apostles, I have a mission for you. And two things were required when we look at the whole of scripture, we study what it was meant, when we See the word apostle. There were two requirements for someone to be an apostle. First, they had to have a personal encounter with Jesus. They had to have a personal knowledge, understanding, relationship, have had seen and talked to Jesus at some point in their life. And the second thing that they had to have was they had to have been a witness to Jesus' resurrection. They had to have seen the resurrected Jesus to see him and to know him. And, then, to, and then, then they received their commission from him. But those are the two areas. That's why there are not apostles today because the Bible very specifically defines two, two things they had to have done. They had to have seen Jesus in person and they had to have witnessed him after his resurrection. That's why the apostle role was limited. But these men, they were a special group of men and they were divinely appointed to spread Jesus far and wide. They were the very first missionaries. They were the first ones to go out and follow the Great Commission to go to all the nations and make disciples of Jesus, to teach people about salvation, to help them get saved, to help them grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles were a special group. And while, I'll say this, this is often talked about in church circles, pastor groups, pastors will often spend a lot of time discussing this together. The office of apostle is no longer needed. It's done. That's one of those things that are in church past. There are no more apostles. If someone tells you they're an apostle, they're confused about God's word. However, some of the gifting that God gave the apostles is still available to the church. So we can't, we can't have witnessed Jesus. We can't witness his re resurrection, although we know it's true. So we can't be early church apostles. But the other thing, and the other thing that we can't do is apostles in the early church, they could do miracles in Jesus' name. 
to help spread the mission, to help spread the truth of God's word, they were able for a time, for a season, to do miracles. We can't do miracles, so that's something we can't do. But what we can do is we can go and spread the gospel and obey the Great Commission. Some people are gifted in that way. The Lord has made some people who are really specially gifted to church plant. So when we have people come who are church planners, missionaries that are planting churches, they somewhat inside of them have the gift of apostle. Not apostle who can do miracles, not apostle who saw Jesus, not apostle who started the early church, but apostles who, who have a gifting to teach God's word to a new group of people who have never heard it and help them form a church. Church planters. They have some of the similar giftings that the early apostles had. And, and it, that's kind of a mission not just for people who have that gift, but really it's a mission for all of us because John 20 verse 21 says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We're being sent out to tell people about Jesus. The next office we see this morning in the Bible, in the text, is prophets. Prophets. You might want to write this down next to prophets. Since I gave you all that room, you're welcome. <laughs> Someone who proclaimed the word of God boldly. Someone who proclaimed the word of God boldly. See, why, was, why were the prophets so necessary in the early church? Because they didn't have the New Testament yet. The New Testament scripture wasn't written. And so Paul, discussing here, some of the gifts that God gave to equip that church in Ephesus specifically, one of those gifts was the prophets. Because the prophets would come, and the prophets had been gifted by God to have a supernatural understanding of his truth. They had a supernatural understanding of his word. God revealed to them things about the Old Testament even that were able to then, oh wow, that's amazing. I need to teach that to this early forming church. They had a supernatural of God's understanding of his understanding of his truth and they had an understanding for what God wanted to do, his new plan for the church. They had an understanding of that. And so part of the role of that prophet then was to go out and boldly proclaim God's truth. His word. The new mission of the church. That all might be saved through Jesus' blood on the cross. That was their goal as the prophets. They were coming. And then, and then not only that, but we see in 1 Corinthians this. 13.2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. That's a, that's a def definition. Paul's listing there. He goes through a whole bunch of gifts and he says, if I'm basically not using my gifting, if I'm not loving other people, then what am I doing? I'm doing nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy, but I don't have love, I have nothing. So that was the point of that text. But it shows a little bit about the idea of these prophets, what he believed the prophets were doing. They had Wisdom for all the mysteries of Christ and all the knowledge of who Jesus was. That's what the prophets were doing. He describes them as being people 
who are full of the knowledge of the mysteries of Jesus. And again, as with apostle, the gift of prophecy ended after the early church was formed. It stopped. It ceased to exist. There was no more reason for prophets. Why was there no more reason for prophets? Because what started to happen was they had the revealed scriptures. They started to have God's word then. They didn't need new, new material from God. They didn't need more material from God. Eventually, the New Testament was finished and completed and the full revelation of God's word was given to God's people. And at that time, when there was no more for them to be taught, Jesus stopped that gift of prophesying. That, wasn't a no, that was no longer needed. And today, we have the full revelation of God. We have more than what the early church believers had. We have more material to go off of than even what the prophets had. They were just relying on the Spirit of God to lead them, which is amazing. Now, we rely on the Spirit of God to lead us as we study what he said. It's similar, but different. We rely on the Spirit inside of us to help us understand God's word. There's nothing left, there's nothing new for Jesus to reveal to us. He's given everything we know, need to know for godliness in his word. However, this gift again can still exist in the church, not in saying new things about Jesus as no one has ever heard, not in about predicting, predicting future events. Be aware if you ever leave Calvary Baptist Church for some crazy reason. I don't know why you would do that. But if you ever go to another church and they start telling you, well, I know things about the future that are going to happen that the Bible doesn't teach, you should step out of that church immediately. I probably wouldn't finish a sermon on a Sunday morning if I heard them say that. I would probably stand up and get out. It's not true. There's nothing new Jesus has given it all in his word. So that part of it's done. But some of you, and I know some of you, still have some of the gifting that the prophets had because some of you proclaim God's word boldly. Some of you are unashamed of God's word and you proclaim it to people boldly. That was what their, that was what their role was. We, still, we don't have that need for prophets anymore, but we still have a need for more women, for more men, for more kids in their schools, for more teenagers with their friends to proclaim God's word boldly to a suffering, dying, fallen world. We still need people to act like the prophets acted and to be willing to go and tell people and proclaimly teach God's word. The next area we see this morning Paul lists is evangelists. Evangelists. The apostles, they were focused on helping start and lead churches. The prophets, they were involved with the new teaching from God's word. Helping these churches to get new teaching about God's word and what it means. Revealing mysteries that were hidden before in the past that are now revealed to us in the present. But the evangelists, they had a very specific reason in the church too, to help people get saved. Evangelists, that term we see in the scripture there, is bearers of good news. Bearers of good news. You can write that if you'd like. 
So the apostles and the prophets, they were used to build the foundation of the church. That's what they were doing. But the evangelists, they came then and they added to the foundation. The prophets and the apostles helped lay that first cornerstone, Jesus Christ. They helped the church center around Jesus. They helped the church start and establish. And they built the first churches. And then each one of us becomes a building block because the evangelists went and they taught people about Jesus and they kept building that church up. They preached the gospel. See, the fact that a believer may not possess this gift of evangelist, though, does not excuse each one of us for being burdened for lost souls or witnessing to the lost. This was a very specific gift, and it is a very specific gifting. Not everyone is just amazing at going to the street and meeting someone brand new off the street and explaining to them Jesus and what, they've, what he's done for them. But all of us are called to love our neighbor as ourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, maybe you would tell them about the gospel. If you're close with your neighbor. Maybe you would be willing to share with them, someone you know, someone who you understand their life, someone who you're not shy of or afraid of. Maybe you'd be willing to share with them what Jesus has done on the cross for them. The evangelists, though, they, they, were more, they were more like full-time. All they had a heart for was telling people about Jesus. There was a man in my church growing up in home, and he had the gift of evangelists. Now, here's the warning, right? I went to Moody, and one of the things they warned us against doing was just to go out and hand a tract to someone and say, here, read this tract, that'll get you saved. You know, as, as best as he could, for example... Billy Graham, he didn't believe in that either. He wanted to go and preach the gospel, but then he wanted to have people fill out cards so they would be able to contact them and follow up with their relationship with Christ. Obviously, that probably didn't always happen for Billy Graham, and it obviously doesn't always happen for those street preachers who hand out tracts. But the point is that Moody, they taught us and trained us, it's really better if instead of trying to hand out 20 tracts, you try to hand out one tract to one person and spend an hour with them trying to explain to them Jesus. Because then there's a relationship. Then there's a formed relationship with that person. They know you care about them. They know that you understand who they are. They know that you see them and their struggle. And that you want them to know Jesus as their Savior. But the evangelists, they use all kinds of opportunities like that. They just go, and I'm, I'm going back to this man in my church. He, he just had a gift. He had a gift at a restaurant, or he had a gift in the Walmart to make the cashier feel so loved in that short little five minutes that you're going to be at the cashier to feel so loved, to feel so cared about, and at the end to say to them, you know what, I come here a lot, and I've seen you before. And I know something about Jesus and who he is. And he's died on the cross for your sins. And that's kind of confusing. And if I, you ever see me again, ask me about it sometime. I'd love to explain that to you more. And you should have heard the stories. Because you go with a guy like that and you're like, oh, okay. That's all he ever said and he never followed up on it. But no, he followed up on it. 
Then the next time he would go to Walmart, he would scan the aisle, checkout aisle, and see if he could see that same person again and go to their aisle again and ask them, have you, ever, have you thought anything about what I shared with you the last time I was at Walmart? And then go to them again and go to them again. And there are people, there are people to this day who attend my dad's church who came to know the Lord Jesus because that man had the gift of evangelist. Amazing. So the church has been given evangelists to preach God's word, to, to win lost souls for Jesus. And then Paul says that the church, that early church in Ephesus, had been given to equip the believers. Remember, that's what they're doing. These four gifts are to equip the believers, the office of pastor and teacher. Notice in the scripture with me, if you have the NIV version like I do, it says, at the end of verse 11, the pastors and teachers. Look at all the other four, other three before that. It says the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. Only by teacher does it not say the. Some Bibles might say the word some. You might have the word some. Some apostles, some prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It doesn't say the word the because pastor and teacher, that's referring to one thing. That's referring to one role, one area. The Greek construction of the language indicates that this word expressed one meaning. So it'd be, it'd be better off in a way if you hyphen, put a hyphen between the two. Pastor, hyphen, teacher. And the, the some interpreters would then therefore show this thought. That every pastor has to have the gift also of teaching. Any pastor has to have the gift of teaching. Pastors are also teachers. And they're shepherds for the flock. According to the scriptures, um, according to the scriptures, said another way, all pastors must be able to teach, but not all teachers are pastors. Does that make sense? You can have the gift of teaching, and later in the scripture, elsewhere in the scripture, talking about gifts, teaching is a gift. But not all teachers are pastors, but all pastors ought to be good teachers. Teachers of God's word and what he has. Acts 20 verse 28 says this about shepherds. Shepherds are for the local flock. Chapter, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. That verse in Acts 20 continues, those verses continue by teaching about vicious wolves that are going to come into the church and they're going to come in to try and devour Christians. But a pastor is supposed to shepherd the flock and then teach them so when the attack of the wolves come, no one is lost. That's the role. The pastor is supposed to help keep the flock safe from harm. And then a major role then, because those two words are put together, then a major role of all pastors ought to be teaching. That's what Paul's emphasizing there. That's what the Greek term of that language is. The pastor is synonymous with teacher. Not only does the pastor and shepherd and love and encourage the flock, he teaches the flock. A major part of the pastoral role ought to be teaching and preaching God's word. And to help people remember verses, verses like this, Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
hey, this is a reminder for me as the pastor. I need to remember to teach the word. Because it's only the word in our lives, it's only the word in our hearts, it's only the word flowing over us that helps us not to sin against our holy God. So Paul teaches, these are the four roles, these are the four areas that the church has been gifted in. These are leaders in the church that are used in verse 12 to equip his people for works of service. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teacher. The first two, the, the church in Ephesus, they experienced. They knew the apostle Paul, for example. They knew he had the gift of prophet too, to prophetically teach God's word to us and to them. They knew evangelists, people who were going out and sharing the gospel with others. And they had elders. When I did the overview of the book, we talked about the elders that came to meet Paul. And Paul was encouraging them to continue to feed the flock in Ephesus. They had pastor teachers who were teaching them God's word. Now today, as I said, we don't have the first two. We don't have apostles. We don't have prophets. There are people that have gifts of doing those things. We don't have them in our church. But we do in our church have the gift of evangelists and pastor teacher. We have those, and we have them like they had them in verse 12, to equip God's people for works of service. That's what their roles are for. That's what they're there for. Gifted leaders to equip the church, to help the church, to be there for the church. And a little, then the end of this sermon this morning, there's something important to look at then. I think it's interesting Mariah and Sam are getting married today because it, it reminded me of Annalise and I getting married this week and I was thinking about them going to their wedding and thinking about that. One thing that's interesting about weddings is the wedding gifts and specifically the wedding gifts that never, ever get used. I would, I would almost want to raise people's hands and say, do you still have a wedding gift in your house that you still, to this day, hold on to because great-grandma Becky gave it to you and you never use it, you know, but she gave it to you, so you keep it and it's some, I don't know if it's an ugly Christmas platter that you never put out or I don't know if it's, you know, a special painting or portrait that you don't really like, so you keep it in a closet somewhere, but you keep it because someone special gave it to you for a wedding gift, Right? Here's the interesting thing. Out of all the gifts that we got for our wedding, I say this often, and sometimes Annalise is like, come on, are you serious? But I don't remember who gave us even what gifts. Okay, so that's not really a problem for me. <laughs> that's out of the picture for me. But I'm, I do know for a fact that we got gifts that we never, ever used. I have one in mind in particular. My friend got me, got us a bowl that says writer on it. Sorry if you're listening. He doesn't watch my sermons, so it's fine. He got us a bowl <laughs> that says Ryder on it, and it's, a, it's like a popcorn bowl, you know? Really nice wooden popcorn bowl made up with the name Ryder on it. We, we never used that bowl. I don't know if we've used it one time for popcorn, <laughs> but we have that gift. Here's the interesting thing I think I want to focus on as we close out the rest of this um, sermon this morning. You've all been given gifts. Every single person in this room has been given gifts from the Lord Jesus. And some times there's a tendency not to use our gifts. 
for Jesus. Just like a wedding gift that sits on the shelf and is untouched, sometimes we don't use our gifts for Jesus the way that he has given them to us to be used. He has given every person in this room who believes in Jesus as their Savior a gift. A gift, and that gift actually, as we see in Ephesians, can't be refuted. It's for the church. And by the church, I mean if you're sitting here and you call this your church home, it's for this church to be used. And yet sometimes we have gifts that we don't use for our church. So Paul's going to continue to teach, and what are the results then? What are the results of gifted believers and leaders in the church? What are the results? The first result is this. Gifted believers and leaders in the church help. That means all of us. It doesn't mean just me as a pastor. All of you who have gifts, all of us help each other to have Christ-like growth. Verses 12 through 13. To equip people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We have Christ-like growth, and it comes only when the church is using its gifts. That Christ-like growth in 12 through 13, just briefly, is listed as faith and knowledge. We have faith in him. We have knowledge of who he is. It's also shown by maturity in verses 12 and 13. Part of Christ-like growth is being a mature follower of Christ. And then you see, there's a time limit, too. Until we read all, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. On this side of earth, we will never attain to the fullness of Christ. Never. We can't do it. We can't be perfect as Christ was perfect. So that verse is encouraging us, keep pressing on. You're, you're trying to attain to that full measure of Christ, but we're not ultimately going to get there until we see Jesus face to face. And in that moment, everything we've done in this church building will make sense completely. Because everything we've done will have been for Christ-like growth so we can reach the fullness of Christ. What's the fear? If you stop attending a church or you stop using your gifts in a church, the fear would be you wouldn't have growth. That growth would be stunted. Paul's teaching here, you attend the church, you go to church, you use your gift so you have Christ-like growth. The next thing it helps you to have is stable faith. Verse 14. Then we will be no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of the people and their deceitful scheming. Actually, going to your church, using your gift in your church, gifted believers and leaders in the church, that helps you to have more stable faith. Because when you're there and you're using your gifts and you're being taught the word of God and you're listening to his word and what it means for your life, there is stability that comes. A stability that then when you hear things in the culture around you, you say, that's not true. 
That's not the word of God. That's not the truth of God. That's not what God thinks. You have a stability in your faith. And it's interesting. He mentions stability and maturity as being the opposite of being an infant. Some of you know yourself. You know your own heart. And you say to your, would you be willing to say to yourself this morning, am I a mature follower of Christ? And if not, then I'm an infant. And I need that stability. I need to tune in more to God and his word and to grow and have a stable faith. Some of you know that believing in God is a battle for you. In this world, it is. If you've heard of people deconstructing their faith, if you've seen these videos where these famous people who used to be Christians and now aren't, you know what probably part of their problem was? They weren't in a stable church being fed the word of God using their gifts. They probably weren't. We need to be in church to help understand and be stable. That we won't be tossed by every wave of knowledge that comes. And the next thing you see is knowing the truth and sharing it in love. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. This is so relevant to me, this part, because maybe for you too, I know deep down in my heart that I know the truth about what God teaches. I know a lot of the truth about what God teaches. But then for me to do it is a whole other problem sometimes. And likewise, when I hear stories of other Christians who are struggling, at times, I just want to walk up to that person and kind of, you know, slap them with the Bible in the face and say, don't you know what the Bible says? That's the truth you need to hear. However, Paul's teaching here, it's equally as important not to just slap people with the truth, but to do it in love. To do it in love. Let's look at this quote from Warren Wearsby. It has well been said that truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. You need both. They go hand in hand. You cannot tell people the truth and be brutal about it. You have to have love. But you also are not loving other people if you don't tell them the truth. In the church, we need to have both. Proverbs 15, 1, as a reminder, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's one side of that coin we just read. Here's the other side of the coin. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of, the enemy, of an enemy are deceitful. We're called to love each other, and sometimes we need faithful wounds from faithful friends to encourage us in truth and in love. And then the last point that Paul makes in the verse 16 is that each person is needed. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm running late this morning. So I want to just close our service here with this point. The whole body of Jesus Christ, the whole process of Christian maturity, 
the whole ability for this church to know Jesus best of all requires all of us. Every ligament of the body. Christ is the head and we all are part of the body. Doing it together. We need each one of you. At Calvary Baptist Church, we need every believer here. Not only do we need you here, but we need you using your gifts here at this church. What Jesus Christ has given to you. It actually hurts our church when you're not using the gifts that God has given to you. Paul brings that bit of information to us so that we understand and realize something. Part of rich living is doing it together as a church. How can we do it without our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we do it without the gifts that he's given, the grace that he's given to us? How can we do it without our leaders? How can we do it without each other? Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, has gifted believers and leaders in his church. Each person is needed. Each of us helps the growth, maturity, and love of the church. In closing this morning, just bow in a word of prayer with me. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the church. You have given us so much, so much grace through your son Jesus dying on the cross, so many gifts through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Help us then to be faithful, Lord, to use them here at Calvary. We want to use our gifts for you. And your word we see, there's an emphasis there that to have a mature body of Christ, it was, it's necessary to have the whole church working together using the gifts you've given. So Father, in the future of our church, and even in the now of our church, help us to know that. Help us to find our gifts, and if we need help, to ask those who can help us. And then help us to use our gifts for this church building, to advance your kingdom, not for our own advancement, but to bring more glory to your name through those who would come to a knowledge of you because of our church family. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this morning. Amen.